0: The word diagnostic, it is a word that we are familiar with. It means to identify. And if you go down to Michael Broadway and have him work on your car down there, they're going to put some diagnostic tools on your car to find out precisely what's right or wrong. Right, Michael? Uh, You go to the doctor, and what does the doctor do to you? The first thing they do is three diagnostic tests. They... Take your temperature, your blood pressure, and then the most evil of things, what? The weight. They weigh you. Yeah, brutalize you. (laughs) We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, and what we're going to do this evening is we're going to walk through a list which is really a diagnostic test of how we're doing with Christ, and it is... uh, I think it's a great indicator. I think you look at it and go, okay, these are things I need to measure. But also look at things, these are things we need to be pushing and promoting in our life. And I want to begin with that. How how are you doing in your Christian life right now? You know, psychologists as well as uh, physiologists, uh, exercise people, tell us we have a tendency to overestimate ourselves. Would you agree with that? how good we are, how generous we are. You know, I, I had a, a, literally a, a professional pollster tell me he comes to churches, and one of the questions he will ask is, do you tithe? And he said 70% of people say they do. And then he looks at the church record, and it's 10%. Just an indication there. But we have a tendency to overestimate uh, even how we're doing with Christ, don't we? Because a lot of times we measure ourselves against Hitler, or, you, you know, we find a lower common denominator and we say that we are better than that person. So w- that's what I want us to do. Look at how are we doing in our walk with Jesus. And, and let's do a quick review from last week. And remember this, God has given us all the tools we need to be successful. You say, well, I'm really struggling in my Christian life. Okay, you're normal. But I want to also tell you this, that God, quick reminder from last week, God has given us All the tools that we need. Verse 3 and 4, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us by himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises, his word. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We said this last week. What's God given us? When you got saved, he gave you that foundation, salvation. Then secondly, he's given you the Holy Spirit. That's God living in us. Say that with me. God lives in me. Isn't that awesome? And then he's given us his word. So he's given us the three things that we've got to have to live effectively as Christians He saved us. If you're saved, he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, and he's given us his word. We've got what it takes. We have the the information, and we've got the power, if we'll use it, to be who we need to be in Christ. But how are we doing? We're going to look through a list of of, uh, characteristics in this passage, and these are ways... To grow, that'll grow you well. (laughs) You're growing in one direction or another. These are the ways to grow so you will grow well. Have you ever felt like you're growing in the wrong ways? Going back to the scales again? But, you know, we do that spiritually too. We do it psychologically. Sometimes we're, we're growing in selfishness. We're growing in religiousness. A lot of church people grow in churchiness. Uh, they don't grow in Christianity. They just become better at church and being churchy and judgmental. You don't know anybody like that, but, but they are out there. Uh, sometimes we grow as good Catholics, good Baptists, good Methodists, good Presbyterian, and I'm not knocking that because I've been one of those for many, many years, but that's not the way you ultimately grow in the ways of Christ. How do we grow in our relationship with Christ? These are things I want you to look at it as a a checklist, diagnostic test. How am I doing with these things? But also say that these are things that I have to do To cooperate with God for my spiritual growth. Number one, do your very best. Do your very best. This is a little quick review from last week too. In verse 5, in view of all this, in view of God saving you, giving his spirit, and giving you his word, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort with speed and diligence is what that's saying. You are not saved by works. You're saved by faith, you're saved to work, and for you to grow in your salvation, you have to work. You follow me? <laughs> saved by faith, not by works, but you are saved to work, and you will grow in your salvation in proportion to how much effort and energy you put into it. Remember, you've got everything that you need. I want to share this with you. Terry, I wish Trey was here tonight. He would like some of this. What Americans spend, this is just kind of in some professional areas, to stay fit. Fifty-eight million Americans have a gym membership. Sixty-seven percent never use them. Isn't that funny? (laughs) The average cost per person is $58, which you do the math there. About $3.3 billion a year are spent on gym memberships, which that's great. Uh, about 14 percent of uh, gym users have a personal trainer, that 's another 65 dollars an hour. I will train you for 20 if you 'll come up here at the church. You go up and down the stairs and i 'll eat a donut and I 'll count it every time you come up. Americans spend 30 billion a year on athletic apparel. Who wants to go into a sports apparel store business with me? But 70% of us over 20 are overweight or are obese. You following my logic there? You can have everything you need, a gym membership, a trainer. Uh, you can even have, be dressed from head to toe in the latest gear. But have to have triple X because you're not exercising in that gear. I'm speaking as a calorically challenged person, so don't take any offense at that. Make every effort. In other words, we've got the tools, like a gym membership, make every effort. And when he says to supplement your faith, your trust in God, your relationship with Jesus, your Christian faith, it's all wrapped up in that one word, do your best in your Christian faith, add these things and you will grow. Okay, what are these things? Number one, grow in moral excellence. Moral excellence, verse 5. In view of all this, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. This is a great concept or word. It, it's virtue in some translations. Listen it, means, listen, it means manliness. Don't you like that? Women, don't you want some of your husbands to man up? Tell him to grow and man up. And some of you women need to women up. It's better maybe to understand it as courage. Moral excellence, sometimes to explain this is to illustrate it better. It's to live a life that's worthy of praise by both God and man. It's a quality that makes you a good citizen and a good friend. Grow in a life that is honorable. How are you doing there? What do I need to do to be more like Jesus? I need to grow in an honorable way where my life brings glory to God and to other people and points them to Jesus. Grow in moral excellence. Number number two, grow in your insight and understanding. Insight and understanding in verse 5 Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence, you see, you're building on, on these things, with knowledge. Now, in this, these verses, there's two different Greek words, New Testament's written in Greek, used for knowledge. This word here for knowledge meant practical knowledge. I love this. It, it, it's, it's knowing how to live out truth, how to discern right and wrong. How to understand what's true and what's false. It's knowing and living differently because of what you know. How many times do we go to Bible studies or church, and all we walk away with is more information? That God's just holding us more and more accountable for that we're not using. You do not study, read, come to church just so you can walk away and be more arrogant knowledgeable. You get it so you can do it. That's exactly what this word means here. The University of Chicago's motto, notice this is translating from Latin, so it's not going to sound real smooth, but their motto says, let knowledge grow from more to more so the human life will be enriched. That's what he's saying here. Here's your indicator. Am I taking in the Word of God and it's it's affecting my life? Is the knowledge that I'm getting enriching who I am, spiritual indicator, how do I become more like Jesus? I get the knowledge, and here's what separates the winners from the losers. I actually do something with it. I do it. I do it. Y'all are really looking funny. But that's, that's not complicated, but it's, re- it's really hard, isn't it? I mean, see, it's easier to argue the Bible than to live the Bible. I think we would all agree with that. Grow in your knowledge. Number three, grow in self-control. Ugh. That's a bad one, isn't it? Verse 6. I just talked about gym memberships and now self-control. Your moral excellence, you add knowledge. And knowledge, you add self-control. Temperance. You, you don't let sex, food, money, drink, technology... How many can say, "Amen?" Your passions control you." It, you know, it, as I thought about this this week, all of us have an area of passion that's hard, isn't it? I mean, you see, you can judge someone else because you're skinny and you think they don't have control, and then you can't control your temper. Or you judge someone because they smoke, and you look at pornography. Am I correct? We all have our Achilles heel here. Yep. Self-control. Dr. Richard Nisbet is a professor at the University of Michigan. He's a social psychologist. And some say he is the world's greatest authority on intelligence. He's been studying me lately and I've <laughs> been helping him a lot. Self-control. Listen to what Dr. Nesbitt, a world authority on intelligence said, I would rather my child score high on self-control than intelligence because self-control is going to determine the success of his life, not his thinking IQ. Control. How, what's, what's your indicator light there tonight? Add this to your knowledge, Discipline yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit. Be self-controlled. Here's the fifth thing that, or fourth thing that's not even fun. Grow in steadfastness. Steadfastness. Verse 6: self-control with patient endurance. Don't you hate that too? (laughs) Patient endurance. Would you agree with me, America? We're not a patient society. You know, you think about it. You come to the office or you get your cell phone or your, your laptop or your iPad, and if you can't pull everything up within five seconds, you're irritated. <laughs> I want to know the stock reports in China, and if I don't get this in ten seconds, this is sorry, computer. There was a Russian comedian who moved to America, and the first time he went to a grocery store, he, he walks by and he sees this aisle, and it says powdered milk. He'd never seen that before and says, add water, you get milk. He walked down a little farther It says, powdered orange juice. Add water and you get orange juice. He said he turned and went to another aisle and he saw baby powder. And he goes, oh, my goodness. (laughs) You don't get that. You lack knowledge. And we'll talk to you later. And if you don't laugh, you lack humor. (laughs) In the book, The Social Animal, the author said, in studying hundreds and hundreds of children who, from little age to they grew into adults, the super achievers in athletics and in music had one thing in common, steadfastness. It wasn't wasn't the, the kids with the highest IQ or the highest what however you graded athletic ability or musical ability at first it's the kids who continue to practice and, practice and practice and practice and practice and stay with it patience endurance it's it's the picture of holding up under the load it's being patient and enduring in circumstances and with people that are tough to endure not hey there are times you got to make cuts you got to say no more not going to do this yes absolutely but how would you grade yourself on patient endurance this evening and if you desire to grow in your christ likeness how much are you willing to push yourself forward in this in the days ahead one of the qualities god lays out here is the person who can hold up under the load and stay true I, I, listen, chase rabbit for a second. Big, 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 big key to the Christian life is staying true through the, the hard times and the, the not so good times. Here's the fifth thing, growing godliness, growing godliness. I don't really like preaching like this. I feel like I'm a, in an academic setting just giving you a list of stuff, but it's God's fault. This is how he laid it down self control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness god why why would god have to tell his people to grow in godliness you know why because we don't do it real well godliness this is another great word like that moral excellence it means to worship it it means to be devoted one scholar says this is real religion, not religiosity, not the religion that makes all of us sick at our stomach, but the real religion that James talks about that feeds the hungry and takes care of the orphan and the widow. One scholar said this godliness looks two ways, can look in two directions. And I thought are they talking about cross-eyed? What are they talking about? you know? And, it said, no, it's the person who keeps one eye on God and one eye on others. You see, a lot of Christianity, not good Christianity, focuses on God and is mean and ignores people. Humanists focus on people and even deny God. Godliness is the person who lives their life vertically and horizontally, always trying to please God and, and serve and help other people. How are are we doing tonight in godliness? What is the indicating light in your life on godliness say? By by the way, none of these are optional, and they come as a package, so you can't pick and choose. Number six, grow in brotherly love. Brotherly love. This is interesting, too. Verse 7, godliness, then you add brotherly affection. Greeks had four different words for love. Our one word, love, you know. We say, I love my dog, I love my wife, I love hamburgers. And you hope you mean something different, (laughs) right? Right? You are killing me tonight. Greeks had four words, very expressive language. That's why this is the New Testament language, because it's so expressive. A word for sexual love, never found in the New Testament. A word for family love that's used maybe a time or two. And this word here is for brotherly love. It's the word philia, And we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is a warm, affectionate love, not the kind of agape we'll see in a moment that we talk about most of the time. This is not a love that you can give everybody. Remember what I talked about Sunday morning? Sometimes you have to separate. You have to be distant. You have to move on. But one thing Christians should try to do is to brotherly love one another and brotherly love other people. How, how would you say are you, in your warm affection towards others, how are you doing it? It's an indicator. It's a goal for us to to strive for. And lastly, grow in unconditional love. This puts this together. Grow in brotherly affection and with love for everyone. Remember four words. This is the word here, agape. And agape is that great Greek word preachers talk about a lot. If you learn one Greek word, learn agape. Agape. It is a word of unconditional love. It's, it's, it's God's love for us that He chooses to love us despite. You cannot be in a fillet of love with everyone because some people you just can't be. You want to be with many as you can, but we are called even to agape our enemies. That we choose to be loving and kind regardless. Doesn't mean you don't have to be tough or distant, but you choose to respond to people in a loving way how how is your indicator light there this is a tough one cuz this involves your enemies how will you choose to do might even be a better question with this moving forward let me give you some great news when we grow in these ways this leads to being effective for God how many of you do not want to be effective for God I mean, you, when you stand before God someday and, and you get into heaven, number one, that's the biggie, right? You know, they're looking through the Reggie, Hanchy, Hanshee, Hanshee, Reggie. Yes, there you are. That's the first thing you want to hear, right? That you're in the book of life. But then you want to hear that God's, your life mattered. Verse 8's great. The more you grow like this. See, these are single, like this the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ. See, this is so cool. When you're churchy and you're religious and you're chasing knowledge, you you impress yourself. You don't impact anyone positively. But when you are growing in these virtues and you're striving to grow in these virtues imperfectly but you're moving forward you that God uses you. You are fruitful, you are effective, people are saved, people are impacted. People's lives are different because you are a part of it. Your church is different. Did you know you are called to make your church better? Yes, I do that by griping and criticizing. No. When these things abound in our life, we're effective for God. Isn't that great? And the great thing about this, there is no limits whatsoever on who can do this. Here's the the last good thing here. This growth leads to a deeper intimacy with God. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just want to ask you tonight. Man, how many of you really want to know God more and more? And be intimate with God and know God deeper. That's what we're all after. When people talk about, I want to go deep, I want to be deep, I want to be deep. I've got a doctor's degree. Andy's been there. Reggie's been there. You go to seminary and you go through all that classes, you you can go way deep and come out way dry. This is talking about intimacy with God. In verse 8, The more you grow like this, the more productive, useful, effective you will be in your knowledge of a Lord Jesus Christ. The word knowledge here is different from the word knowledge used earlier. This is talking about the intimate knowledge, the participatory knowledge. This is a knowledge that because of its contact with the object of knowledge, it is different. It's sexual knowledge used in other places of a person. It's intimate. Listen, he's saying here as we grow in godliness, we grow in self-control and moral excellence and brotherly love and agape love, as we grow in those things, we not only become, but we know God deeper and deeper and deeper. That is a well you will never plumb this side of heaven to. Isn't that great? I hope that's great to you. But because, you, well, let me just share this. I, th- I think this is a great story. At, a, at a, a banquet, religious banquet, they had a, a professor, excuse me, they had a pastor and an actor uh, on the program. And they were both going to read the 23rd Psalm at different points in the program. The actor got up, he was very eloquent, he was very good, and he spoke very well, and he spoke very clear, and he, you know, read the 23rd Psalm. Twenty minutes later, the, the preacher got up there and he quoted it from his heart. And then when it was over, it well, wasn't because he quoted it, but the actor said to him, You did a lot better than I did. He goes, What do you mean? He goes, I knew the psalm, you know the shepherd. <laughs> yeah. See, that's that's what he's saying here. When these things are growing in your life, you're gonna know the shepherd. But here's the one negative thing this evening. I gotta hit you with one mean thing. When we fail here, we fail, period. You fail. Verse 9, but those who fail to develop in this way are short sighted or blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their old sins. Wow. Peter doesn't mince words, does he? Short sighted, the ability to see up close but not far off. He's saying if your life, if you are a Christian, is not progressing in this direction, you don't, all you can see is yourself. In your little world, you don't have a big picture. You can't see ahead. You're nearsighted or you're blind. You can't see it all. And you've forgotten, see what he says, that you've been cleansed from your old sins. You've forgotten what God's done for you. To fail to grow here is not just, well, I didn't do well on this, these characteristics. It's to fail It's to fail ultimately in our walk with Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this evening, how are we doing? And what will we do about it? You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. In a moment when we give the invitation, come down and give your life to Christ. Come down tonight and give your life to Christ. Maybe these things aren't in your life because Christ is not in your life. There's a remedy for that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. You can do it after church. You can do it right now when we stand. We'd love for you to do that. And Christians, some of you are hitting a home run in these areas. Keep it up. Keep your foot on the pedal and the pedal on the metal. Don't let up. But others of us, maybe we're not doing so well. And and I want to challenge you, where you're standing or at the altar, ask God to show you why. And be willing to do what he tells you to, to live these things out in your life. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.